Good morning, church family. It is good to see you. Welcome to Skyview. Uh, thank you to our worship team for leading us so well. Um, and um, there are so many people that make the church what it is. You get to see a few of us on a Sunday. But as has been alluded to, there are many people who love this church and who serve through its ministry. And we are grateful, uh, I am grateful, for the many who makes this church what it is. If you're new to us, we uh, want to invite you, and I'm going to be a little, little modern with you. That should not inspire laughter. But we have these little inserts that has a QR code. Do I have that right, uh, Kaylee? I'm looking at you. Yeah. A QR code, and so uh, if you want to take your phone and you can scan it, it takes you to a registration page where we'd like for you just to let us know who you are so we can respond and let you know uh, who we are and opportunities for you to get involved. This morning, before I read the scripture, I want to just acknowledge and uh, pass on, on behalf of our church our condolences uh, to Dave and Diane with the passing of his dad. And Dave, we uh, are praying for you as a family, and we pray God's strength tomorrow uh, when we celebrate his life and lay him to rest. This past week, we also received news just a few days ago that Pastor Brittany's um, grandmom had passed away in Ohio. And so we want to keep these families in our prayer in these days. So would you join me now in prayer? praying for God's comfort and presence, but also as we prepare to hear his word. Come, Holy Spirit, we need thee. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your strength. We need your comfort. Come, Holy Spirit, upon your people, in our weakness, in our desperation, in our longing. Come, Holy Spirit, upon the church in these days. Strengthen weakening knees. Strengthen weary spirits. Strengthen the hope that has been placed within us through Jesus Christ. So that... Others may come to know you. We pray in particular this morning for your comfort upon our dear friends who are mourning the loss of loved ones. We ask for your encouragement. We ask for your strength. Above all, we lean upon your promises that assures us that death will not have the final say, but those who have placed their hope in Jesus Christ will be resurrected to his presence and be in fellowship with him forever. Grant us this day a sense and a desire to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to support each other, and to be the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, reading from verse 21 to 30, and you may, be, you may remain seated for the reading of God's word this morning. 
Then he, that is Jesus, began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your own hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, and when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel, In the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of the Lord. The first time I preached in my own hometown, in my own church, no one wanted to take me up to the roof of the church and throw me off after. I think that the challenge for preachers in these particular days in which we live is exceptionally hard. It seems to me that the people who knew Jesus well, his family, those who saw him grow from a toddler to a teenager and to a man, had a hard time with him because he was not what they would prefer he, him to be. And I got to be honest, when I was preparing, preparing this message, I said, please, Stu, don't go up there and kind of suggest you're like Jesus. Except I want to make this point. <laughs> that I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be the kind of preacher and pastor that desires to preach the gospel hope of Jesus Christ and all its implications to the best of my ability, irrespective of the outcome. I think that when we, and this is not in my notes, but I want to take the liberty to say a few things. 
that as we are discerning of who we listen to in this day and age, when we choose to listen to people out of the desire to have us comfortable, to have us feel that our own sense of rightness is constantly being affirmed, without the implications of the gospel challenging us to the core to consider that the mission of Jesus Christ is always bigger than we wish it to be. So Jesus returns to his family and friends in Nazareth. And he speaks to them in the synagogue, preaching a message that they understood. Quoting from the prophet Isaiah, they hear that the kingdom is now coming near, the Messiah is now coming near, and this is good news for those on the underside of society. The good news is coming for the poor. The good news is coming for the oppressed. The good news is coming for the captive, and the year of the Lord's favor is upon them. And when the family and friends in the synagogue of Jesus hears this good news, they say, poor, check, oppressed, checked, in need of liberation, check, year of jubilee, yes. They heard the good news as good news for them. And when Jesus continues to preach, he says some things that takes their praise and amazement at his gracious words and turns into a riotous mob who wants to persecute him by throwing him off a cliff. It seems to me that an honest reading of the text goes something like this. When the good news was for us, it was good news. But the moment that we heard, the good news extends beyond us to those whom we have drawn definitive lines or on the outside, we don't like what we're hearing. And we move from a posture of praise to protest. In minutes. There's many times when you read the gospel that a lot of time passes between the different scenes that are described, but herein lies the challenge in this particular text. Luke does not give us the sense that much time passes between the astonishing praise of a good sermon. Just think about this for a moment. One moment you're sitting there amening through your mask, Safely, praising God for wonderful insight. And the next moment, you're jumping to your feet saying, throw him out of here. The question that the text raises is one that is so hard for me to wrap my head around as a pastor and a preacher. And yet, I think the scripture teaches us an important lesson. That when we come into the presence of the one who proclaims to be the hope, he is the hope not only for us, but for all people. 
And when we hear the gospel news, may we hear with the humility that does not always place ourselves as the good ones in the story, but sometimes as the one who needs to be implicated by its truth. Let me be very vulnerable with you. I was raised during apartheid as a man of color. I struggled for most of my life with finding value and acceptance. God has a sense of humor. He brings me to Canada to pastor a church of people who are not like me in any way. And over the years, I've wrestled with the insecurity that has been drummed into me by policy and people. I have struggled with the security that I long for And so at times, the challenge, you need to hear this from me, has been strong when I have felt the tension of the gospel propelling me to say things that may make you not like me. But you know what? (laughs) Jesus always shows up even when the preacher does not have the courage. Jesus always proclaims his liberating hope, even when the preacher is inadequate. Jesus' message will not be contained or subverted like in the synagogue by anyone or anything, including this pastor. And I find a tremendous peace in knowing that I myself have submitted my my preaching to the leading of God himself. And so, I say to you as my church family, the people who have journeyed with your pastor, I like saying that because I'm proud of you. For many, many years, let us not expect that every time the word is proclaimed, it is for someone else. But let us anticipate that God may always have a word For his people. Over the last year, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people put themselves in the camp of, we get it, they don't. Sometimes they write. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the kind of polarized rhetoric, not outside the church, but in the church, and I've always left those conversations wondering. That if we truly stand in front of the throne of God's grace, as every one of us need to do, in need of His grace, then we come as those who understand that we ourselves as the people of God consistently place ourselves before Him so that we may hear the liberating hope of Jesus, not first for others, but first for us. Now, you say, well, Stu, that's what they did. They heard the liberating news of Jesus for them. You know, I've had many times where I've preached as a pastor, and someone will come to me and say, you know, I really appreciated what you said there. And they'll tell me what I said, and I think to myself, I don't think I said that. 
You know what that is, right? There's two ways I can go. One is that the Spirit is speaking to somebody in a way that transcends what the pastor prepared. I like to believe God does that. I do believe that. But I also think sometimes it's revelatory that we hear what we want to hear. That our ears are attuned to that which we already kind of are predisposed to believing and affirming for ourselves. And not everything we believe and affirm is wrong. But there are times in which Jesus steps into our presence and the word is proclaimed where the word is proclaimed in such a way that we try to distance ourselves from the implications of that word or apply it to ourselves in such a way as to say, we are the ones that stands in the right place. See, the rescue plan of God, as manifest through the Messiah Jesus himself, is a rescue plan that from the Old through to the New Testament reveals God's interest not only in Israel, but that Israel would become what the Old Testament so wonderfully captures for us, a light unto the nations. The chosenness of the people of God, the selection of the people of God. We have trouble with understanding chosen language because in our culture to be chosen means to be special and we often think it's only for our sake. But the chosenness of the people of God in the Old Testament is for the purposes of God. They are set aside. They are chosen by God for a purpose. The moment the Israelites become self-centered and self-focused, they forget that their calling, God's unique favor towards them. By the way, in the Old Testament, God calls them his firstborn son. They forget that their calling was integrally tied into the mission that God had for them. And so, they are a called people. The Nazareth synagogue is hearing these words of liberation because they understand that they have been chosen by God. But what we find in the text is this revelation that when we lose the purpose of our unique calling, when the church forgets that we have been saved and sanctified, say hallelujah with me, Unto an end, we act in the same kinds of ways as those in the synagogue. When Israel made God's calling self-serving, they failed to fulfill who God had destined them to be. And when the long-awaited Messiah appears proclaiming good news to the poor release of the captives and the year of Jubilee, they respond well initially until they hear the implications that this good news, as often in the Old Testament passages referred to by Jesus himself, being responded to by those whom they had learned to despise. When Jesus points out that the outsider, the widow, and Naaman the Syrian were the ones who show what happens when good news makes a difference, when Jesus quotes two people that Israel perhaps would have been uncomfortable hearing that God came to. They are not only offended that this message is not for them only, 
but that this message is more readily received by those whom they thought were excluded. Let me put this in context. A Gentile woman, a non-Jew, a person of low status, God sent Elijah to her. Naaman, a Syrian, not always on the right relationship with Israel, a leper whom the people ignored and excluded out of fear of being contaminated, are the two symbols of the outsider responding to the good news and to the message and ministry of God from old to new. And Jesus says to the group, I have a sense (laughs) that the good news I've preached won't be received well by you, but I can tell you who's receiving it well. It's those who know their deep need of God's mercy. You want to know why they want to throw Jesus off the cliff? This is why. You want to know why they went from praise and adulation? Because Jesus actually spoke a convicting word to the people who had known the scriptures from of old, have read it from of old, have memorized that at the early age of six and seven, these boys would have remembered the Old Testament, recited it verbatim. They would memorize it, and yet somehow they did not see in their very own scriptures the God who did not only come to choose them for their own sake, but through them to be a blessing and a ministry to others. When the church forgets its calling, when the church bends itself towards its own existence, when we start to act in ways that say, this is only about us, and let me be clear, we say this in many ways, we reveal it in many ways, we are living contrary to the humble posture of receiving the gospel good news That is for us. If you are poor, Jesus came for you. If you're in bondage, his power can liberate you. If you're in need of a good year, the year of Jubilee is there for you. It is there for me, but it is there for the world also. When is the last time Jesus upset you? I get the sense whenever we read the scripture, we're always hearing how good we are. Look at me. (laughs) I stand in the center of the story and I'm always okay. You know, um, this this danger in our society is, is that we use our knowledge in a way to place ourselves in power and authority over us. Do you know where our power and authority is? It is not in us. It is in Christ. It is in Christ. The church, like the people in the synagogue, is confronted with a a choice today. Whether we would allow the words of Jesus to convict us. I want to be honest with you. 
When I say that, some people have said to me, oh, have you been lying to us before? I think it's a South African thing. We, we use those kinds of phrases. Maybe a better way to say it, let me be vulnerable with you. <sighs> Following Jesus is really hard. Especially if it's not just about me. Following Jesus has implications. And not the kind of implications that most of us are comfortable, the uh, attendance in worship, which is important, or the giving of our tithes, which is important. But I think one of the most challenging implications from our text is that if we are to follow Jesus, we must allow Jesus to set the agenda and to direct our lives in every way. I want to ask you some really difficult questions. What keeps you from hearing the implications of the gospel as Jesus is preaching it to us today through His Word? What perspectives keeps you from seeing that the good news is greater than just good news for me? What makes you uncomfortable about what you're hearing? For in that very discomfort, may I offer you this, the Spirit of God longs to liberate you. Where is the good news in this text? It seems like if I was going to teach a preaching course at Ambrose, if they would invite me to do so, hint, hint. I would go to this passage and I would say to the young upcoming preachers, I would say, do you want to preach? If they said yes, I said, do you want to preach the way of Jesus? They said yes, I said, would you be willing to have people reject what you say because you're trying to be faithful? I hope they'd say yes. What if the message this morning is for you and for me? A message that challenges us when we walk into places where we hear the word proclaimed that we would first pray, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. When is the last time that the Word of God convicted your heart to the point of repentance? We like the sins of commission. We like talking about the things that we can blatantly observe and say is wrong. But what about the sins of omission? The things that God calls us to do that we don't do. The ways in which he calls us to live in relationship to others, the least of these. This passage does not 
Here's what happens when, when we read this text in, in a kind of you know, middle-class environment. We hear poor, we hear oppressed, and so you know what we do? We symbolize those images. We say God is just being symbolic, Jesus is being symbolic. If you read the Gospel of Luke, Jesus goes to the poor. He frees the possessed. It's not just symbolism. It's people. It's not just an idea. It's not, we, 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 we tend to kind of do this spiritually. We, we, we tend to say God is only talking about some kind of internal reality. And we can easily become the poor when we think this way. Well, you know, I'm just poor in spirit. Well, God does come to the poor in spirit. But can I just say this to you? When Jesus speaks these words, let us hear what it means. It is for everyone who are physically and mentally and spiritually bound. His liberation is for all of who we are. Because that is the kind of Savior He is. Don't reduce His Word. You know what happens when we reduce His Word? You know, He, he, he leaves our midst. Have you ever wondered how weird the story ends? He, he leaves. It's almost like a miraculous just escape. They wanted to throw Him off the hill. There's a crowd of angry protesters. They want to throw Him off the hill, but He just escapes. Can I just imagine this with you? Whenever people are working against the very ministry and mission of God, he leaves. He leaves. I think what is breathtaking and absolutely challenging is that he leaves people who think that they were being very devout. As we transition from these difficult words to the Lord's table, I wonder if there is a way in which we can do so with the spirit of humility and openness. This table so beautifully presented here is a place of gracious invitation. Do you know that this table that represents the, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples had around it those who would betray him and those who would deny him? And yet Jesus, knowing this, extended the grace of his presence, his life, his ministry, and indeed, all of who he was, even for those who would reject him. The ordinary transformed into the sacred when we realize that when Jesus says to his disciples, whenever you get together, Whenever you eat together, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me because when you do, you're going to be more prone to live like me. Because when you forget who I am, you'll create a religion 
that is not about me. When you forget that I gave myself indiscriminately so that everyone would come to the table of grace with a hope and an optimism and a sacrificial self-giving, then you will not be who I need you to be. This morning, I want to challenge you to recognize that we've often reduced this to a simple symbolism, a simple way of doing what we think we ought to do without perhaps examining what this table represents. But can I say this to you today? As you prepare to eat with Jesus as the host, examine your hearts, your attitudes, your intentions. The psalmist says it this way, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Search me, God, and, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And lead me. And lead me. Do you want to be led today in the ways of Jesus? Amen. <laughs> I'm getting, it's taken me 14 years of begging you for an amen. The scripture says, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, dear Lord, as we gather at your table, as we gather as your body, to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on this meal that represents so much more than we've made it. By your power, make us who you desire us to be so that we may be for the world the hope of Jesus Christ. redeemed by his blood.